All right, we are podcasting. This is our very first episode. Thank you for joining us. My name is Will, and over here we've got... Joe. Joe, all right. So before we start and even explain what this podcast is about, I want to start with a story. So Joe is not prepared for this, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> but Joe, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention a name, and you tell me kind of the story behind this name, um, how it relates to um, you and I. So here goes. What does the name Rabbi Reptavia mean to you? <laughs> uh, well, let's see. Reptavia is the name of uh, the main character in the musical Fiddler on the Roof. And uh, if you haven't seen that musical, you should watch it because it's amazing. One of the best musicals out there. And uh, he's the, the icon of all homeschool boys um, that are growing up and, and have any, you know, desire for uh, to be in another culture or another time. And uh, when I was doing VBS in our church years ago, I was the, the main teacher for the VBS and I had to play a Jewish rabbi. And so to help me get into the... Uh, I don't know, the mindset, I guess, of being that teacher. Well, and more than that, to pick up my, uh, my accent. I, can't even, I couldn't do it right now, I don't think. Um, <laughs> in order to get all of that uh, in my heart and in my head prepared for the students, I would have to sing songs that Reb Tevia sang from the musical to kind of get in the zone. And uh, I named myself Rabbi Reb Tevia to really own that, uh, the ethos of that that VBS year. And so all I remember the story being, you probably remember better, but I, I used to, in between kids coming into the, the classroom to hear me because I would start to lose the accent and stuff, I would have to start singing that song again quietly under my breath to really picture who I was. And uh, I remember Will walking in one time and hearing me do that and thinking, what's going on? I so, think, well, I think what happened. So um, you, I think, recruited me to help with VBS that year. And so we were, I think we were living in the same house that summer. Yeah. And so we would get in your car and on the way to VBS, you probably didn't even have air conditioning. So we would have the windows down. <laughs> you would plug in your phone and you would crank up if I were a rich man <laughs> and belt it as loudly as you could as we drove on the way to church. So that, that's specifically what I remember. Yep. yep. I do remember that. That got me in the zone though. <laughs> it so did. Thank it did. you yeah, for enduring that. So the reason I uh, bring that story up is to um, just let you know a few things about Joe. So number one, Joe is a warrior poet. So he, uh, he is voracious. He will do whatever he does, he does it 100%. So if he's singing a song from Fiddler on the Roof, he's going to belt it out as loudly as he can. That is true. If he's singing Oh for a Thousand Tongues, he's going to sing it as loudly true. as he can. Also, if he's playing rugby or doing a mixed martial arts fight, he's going he's gonna to leave it all on the field. That's or... actually not true. I have been a coward in a mixed martial arts fight before. But and you have been field. in a mixed martial art before. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, yeah, Joe, Joe just does everything. Uh, he, he's not, he doesn't go halfway on anything. But also, he's my good friend. Um, we lived together for a while and, um, yes, went and did VBS um, together and yeah, just have had a lot of good memories together. Um, but also, you know, that story even shows that Joe really does have a passion for the local church. Um, and he also has the humility to do little things like, you know, go totally, you know, in, um, develop a persona for the little kids at VBS. And he's going to, 
he's going to, again, leave it all on the court. But anyway, he, he has the humility to do those things, and he just wants to serve in any way that he can, and he wants to build up the local church, whether that's through VBS, whether that's through preaching, whether it's through w- whatever it is. He, um, he's always there for that. So anyway, um, we are doing this podcast just to kind of let you know kind of what Joe is up to, what he's um, been thinking about and praying about, a little bit about who he is. Um, and our goal here is just to be communicating. Um, I'm just recording this on an iPhone. This is not a high quality production. Um, the opportunity is just amazing that we can just, a couple guys can just sit down and record a podcast. So, you know, it's going to be off the cuff. It's not going to be, um, it's not going to be super structured. It's not going to be high production. Um, but here we are, we're communicating. So, um, my, my, so to get this conversation started, um, Joe has been talking up to this point that he has a burden. So Joe, that, that's going to be my question for you, and you can just kind of take it from there. What is your burden right now? You are burdened for something. Wow. Um, I, I don't have a, a polished answer to that, and that's probably why we would describe it as a burden right now. Um, so to start, I would just say I feel burdened that um, because small town America um, is um, neglected by our broader society, our, I think our, the training of pastors and the uh, gospel ambition for small town churches is also being neglected right now. I, um, yeah, I think that that's probably the, a good generic answer to what I feel burdened by, that, that small town pastors are um, just a, um, like the rest of society would view small towns, a place for um, failure or a dead end or um, a step in a career, um, that small town churches are often treated that way as well. They're not they're not cherished as as um, glorious things like the bride of Christ or like the body of Christ. They're not invested in like the sheep of Christ. You know, they're not they're not served in those ways. And I I, I feel burdened that oftentimes the small town church is kind of neglected as just a, a training field for new pastors who want to aspire to bigger things, or a place for a retired pastor to kind of come and coast after he's finished his career elsewhere. Um, yeah, and, and probably I'd say mostly right now my burden is focused on the pastors, like finding and training pastors for those churches. Um, just because, like you said, I, I do love the local church, and I think one of the things the Bible teaches is that local churches need to be governed by themselves. So I don't feel burdened like I could somehow help and teach all the churches in our region and make them all healthier churches. I'm not an apostle for this region or the prophet of this region. I would just see one of the main ways that Christ feeds his sheep right now is through the individual's pastors of those churches. And so I think my, the focal point of my burden right now is finding and training and supporting the pastors of those small towns. Gotcha. And just to give context, so we are in St. Joseph, Missouri, so that's about 45 minutes away from Kansas City. And so the, <clears throat> the, area, I mean, the area that you are in right now you're actually on the other side of the river in Kansas, mm-hmm. just into Kansas. And so um, your primary focus as far as region goes is, I, I guess, w- what is your 
primary focus of region right at this now, point. I'm saying northeast Kansas and northwest Missouri. Um, I'm becoming increasingly convinced that the kind of ministry I'd like to do here is heavily relational, not really a big institution or some kind of structure or brand, but more about building true fellowship between brothers in Christ. And that's going to put a limit, some constraints on how far the region could reach. And so when I say Northwest Missouri, Northeast Kansas, that might already be too big. I don't know yet. I just did a little bit of research yesterday and there are, um, over 200 municipalities or non-incorporated, um, I don't know what you'd call them, townships or something in the, the region that I'm looking at. Um, and that would be that would be a lot. Over 200 places to target would probably be more than I could handle. So I haven't quite got the region figured out yet. Okay. So um, I, I kind of want to ask the question, why are you burdened? How did you get to this point? But... I'd like you to just, you can, you can briefly cover it, but um, I, I kind of want the whole backstory of, you know, um, after becoming a Christian, at what point, I think you did a vision trip in Indonesia. Um, so you kind of, you've had a heart for missions for a long time. You, um, uh, you went to um, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, then you went to Scotland, and now you're back. So j- just kind of trace that out for us about kind of your heart for missions and kind of wh- how you're back here with this desire, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Go ahead and take your time on that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I was about 18 years old when um, a, guy, a, a godly mentor I had, my pastor at the time, um, was planning to go overseas as a missionary and just said, you know, I'd like you to come with me. And I said, that's what I want to do. So I um, went with them on a vision trip as a freshman in college to Indonesia. The doors for that opportunity were closed eventually. So we didn't end up going there. But our church did end up sending that man and his family to Ethiopia. And um, I needed to get a college degree in order for a missions agency to accept me as a candidate. So I finished my degree. I got a business degree. I thought it would give me some opportunities in missions that a traditional Bible degree wouldn't allow me. So I finished that and then um, got married to my wonderful wife, God's gift to me, um, right after I graduated. And she still had a year of school. So um, I just did college ministry while she was finishing up her year of school. Um, And then when we finished her school, we tried to go to Ethiopia where that team was, but Ethiopia wouldn't give us a visa until I had a master's degree or she had two years of um, nursing experience. So we just kind of got on a fast track to I'll get a two-year seminary degree, she'll get two years of nursing experience, and we'll be out of here in Ethiopia. Really the thing that was driving me for missions, and I don't think I was fully aware of it at the time, was a desire to find significance in doing, um, what would I call it? Empirically strategic ministry. I, I like empirical, even though I know that's not a word we use every day. It, it means like quantifiable ministry, something that I could prove what I'm doing matters. I wanted to prove to 
the people around me. I wanted to, when I was trying to raise money for what I was doing, I wanted to be able to prove with numbers, this matters and this needs to, this, this, you need to give money toward this because I can prove it with um, empirical data. Like, this is an unreached people group. So I really wanted to do missions to, to a group of people, an ethnicity who'd never heard the gospel before or who had never had a Christian before. That was just, that's an empirical way to, to, to discern that you're doing strategic ministry. Um, so that's what was really driving me. And I just, uh, really everything, the, the, the team in Ethiopia ended up coming back before I was able to finish my seminary degree and they were not planning to return. And so that seemed to crumble beneath my feet. And I felt really discouraged and kind of lost because I felt like, I, I thought I was getting into missions just because I wanted to glorify God and serve him and felt like he was robbing me of the opportunity to do that. And I devoted so many years at this point. This would have been like seven years of trying to get onto the mission field. And so it kind of felt disillusioned too. Well, um, I also knew that I needed church planting experience. So I went um, uh, searching for a ministry that was doing training in church planting and found a great one in Scotland that I was a part of for two years there. But while I was there, I was looking for other opportunities beyond Scotland in another nation with unreached people groups again, again, looking for, for an empirically strategic ministry. And as I was serving with our church there in Scotland, I just, I think what the Lord kept bringing to to mind for me, the lesson that was kind of digging into my soul was um, the ministry of the gospel is not empirically quantifiable. It's not, it's not supposed to be big numbers or special numbers or those kind of things. The, the real work of the gospel is in people's hearts. Um, it's not about getting a big platform and lots of people to listen to you. It's not about just finding the people who want to hear what you're saying and, and then showcasing all of your, you know, fancy thoughts about the Bible. It's about finding people who are struggling with sin, who've put their faith in Christ, but um, are, are waning in their faith and strengthening their faith, pointing them back to the treasures of scripture. It's about praying with brothers who are burdened for things. It's um, I, at one point while I was over there, summarize it as um, gospel ministries like a street fight. I think I had really thought of myself as needing to get equipped and be this high impact strategic minister of the gospel um, and was spending so much of my time just trying to prepare, prepare, prepare until I could get into this strategic field and then vindicate myself by doing that and realized all along it's just been this street fight where my friends are getting torn up by um, Satan and his hordes and I'm sitting over here on the side calculating when I can jump in the fight because I need to make sure I land the knockout punch when what really needs to happen is I just need to start swinging I just need to have my my skinny skinny ninny little fists swinging and hitting any way I can um, because life life is short and it's not about me proving how uh, um, how how much I matter by my ministry it's just about Jesus said you know, if you love me, feed my sheep. I just want you to feed my sheep. I don't want you to have a big stage or um, be the one who reached this special tribe of people who'd never heard the gospel before. I just want you to be faithful where I put you. So as I was learning that in Scotland, we had to make the decision whether to stay in Scotland long term, go to another country or come back to Kansas. Um, and there were a thousand 
things that went into that decision. So there's not one thing. But as it relates to our conversation, I had started feeling this burden for small towns because they're not empirically strategic. There's that they're the opposite of that. They're considered to be in the Bible Belt, so everybody thinks they don't. They're, they're reached. Um, their populations are small. They're remote and isolated, so they fit. They, they, they don't fit any definition of strategic. There's no way to slice small towns and say, this place matters, and so we need gospel ministers there, unless you have biblical priorities. There are eternal souls here. There are brothers and sisters who are waning in their faith. There are, there's, a, there's a street fight, a, a, a spiritual street fight happening here, and they need other men who are going to stand up and fight with them. It's only the heavenly priorities and, and biblical priorities that could put small towns on the map. And so that's what started making me feel burdened for it and also excited at the idea of ministry in small towns, that it really fits the idea of there's no way to look at this and make it strategic. Um, I suppose you could try. Like you could, you could, um, yeah, uh, make flannel ministry your thing like <laughs> people wearing flannels don't know that I don't know like you could you could try to use demographics to slice it in some way but the way I, the way I currently see it it's just it's the opposite of strategic but I think that's where the Lord had been leading me was don't use ministry as a way to validate yourself um, go go where I want you serve what's that famous quote from a pastor he says something like preach the gospel die and be forgotten oh yeah that's that that has started to grow i've started to grow an appreciation for the wisdom of that kind of proverb yeah. so yeah. that's what brought us back to kansas yeah and so and when did you guys get back from scotland uh three months ago the end of august 2020 yeah. so you're really i mean we're just right at the beginning of this kind of you transitioning into um trying to build these relationships and do this kind of work and yeah. and it really i mean you'd say you're you're just in the process of um, really figuring out, okay, what does this burden look like? <laughs> I don't know, like, how does this become a ministry? Um, yeah. So, great. Yeah, that's that's yeah, helpful. Right on um, so, so what are you doing right now? Both both related to this ministry and unrelated to it, just in life. But what what have been some of the things you've been doing? Um, I know you've been trying to meet with some rural pastors. So, just what's What's going on right now? Yeah, well, the bulk of my time has actually not been related to um, ministry to rural churches. We, my wife and I, became really um, convinced of um, all of our financial supporters when we were in Scotland being our fellow workers, that they were actually doing the work with us through their support. And so we have to uh, appreciate that and recognize that. So when we've come back, we've spent most of our time just trying to visit our supporters, um, report on the work that God was doing in Scotland and um, thank them for that support too. Uh, just that, that, that needs to be recognized, needs to be highlighted. So that's been the bulk of, of these three months, just getting that all set up. Um, but then in any spare time I've had, I have been, um, I've read a little bit. So I've read one book that was really good. It's called A Big Gospel in Small Places. It was a good introduction to the things and, and confirmed a lot of the things that I was feeling um, a lot of the burden I was feeling. But then I have been just trying to meet with small town pastors and really looking for two things. I would like to know if they sense any of the burdens I feel themselves. So really just trying to say, do you diagnose the same problems? Do you feel the same 
frustrations with what's happening in small town churches and then trying to seek wisdom from them on how they would see, go about um, lifting that burden, you know. So I, I just want to see, would you confirm that this is a problem, that these, these examples I'm giving are bad things for small town churches? And how would you be, how would you devote 40 hours a week to solving that problem? So, um, yeah, I've, I've probably only met with uh, five or six pastors at this point. Um, but another goal in that is that if the Lord does let this ministry develop into an actual ministry, I want a network of small town pastors so that we can start gathering, um, praying together, be sharing resources, training interns together, those kind of things. So I've got a long-term goal in mind when I'm meeting these guys, but um, mainly I'm recognizing I feel burdened by something, but I am not equipped to address it yet. And, and I should also say, I think that the, the people who are equipped to address it the most are the men who are actually doing the work. It won't be from sitting and reading that I, I learn the, the actual challenges of small town ministry and why things are the way they are. It will be from men who are actually shepherds among the people there that can highlight the real struggles and the real source of problems um, and then help show me how to, how to deal with that. That's great. Um, so going back to this idea of strategic versus non-strategic, what, what do you mean by strategic? Or what do you think most people mean by strategic when they're talking about, I'm going to go do ministry in a certain place or in a certain way, thinking that that ministry is strategic? Um, I, I think it's, it's not a, a, a bad concept I think it, it's helpful it's I, I I corrupted it in my sinfulness and used it used uh, strategic as a definition to try to to validate what I was doing I needed what I was doing to matter more than what you were doing and so that's why I captured that and then I think yeah abused it um, I think that the most people by strategic are just saying we recognize that um, the Lord in his wisdom has given us a limited amount of resources. He's entrusted some of us with lots of resources and entrusted others of us with little resources. Um, and because of the, the limit of what he's given us, we want to be good stewards of what he's given us. And so we want to invest our money and our hours and our prayers um, in the best way we can. Uh, like the parable says, we want to be shrewd with... with uh, unrighteous wealth. We want to use these things in a shrewd way. And so examples are of strategic ministry are things like um, targeting an unreached people group. And I, I think that's healthy. Uh, I think that that's a, a great thing to say. Yeah. Christ wants all nations to gather around his throne on the last day. And so if there are nations who won't be there yet, we should put more of our effort toward those people than, than the nations who will already be represented around his throne. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm also okay with saying things like um, people would recognize right now that urban church planting is strategic because historically, at least in America, churches have kind of avoided urban centers and have been more of a, a small town rural presence or suburban megachurch sort of uh, idea. And so there's, there's a need to... Um, 
get churches into places they've never been or they haven't historically been. I think those are examples of what people mean by strategic, meaning we have limited resources. Let's try to use them for the highest impact. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I, I guess I'm just pushing back a little bit when you were using the word unstrategic, because I think I think what you said even earlier about um, rural areas are neglected. I think that's more helpful because, I mean, you know, think if you're think if you're going to battle and all your troops are, you know, leaving the base, somebody has to stay there and guard the base like that is the most unstrategic thing you can do is, okay, everybody who was supposed to guard the base, they go out on the front lines too. And then, okay, well, all the bad guys just go in and overrun the base. Yeah. You know, whatever it is, like we, um, we can't, we can't neglect the rural areas. Um, so I don't think it's, I don't think it's unstrategic. I think it's, I think it's just one aspect of the, the, the full picture of what God is doing and how the gospel is spreading. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, I do college ministry right now. And so I, I see firsthand just the um, level of biblical illiteracy just within our culture. Like people don't know, people don't know what's in the Bible or, or j- just things that we used to take for granted before. I think the more and more that we move kind of as into a post-Christian culture, um, I just, I just see the need there that you can't just assume that everybody knows you know what the gospel is what what Jesus's words are what his yeah. what his life is about and so um so yeah I, I think it's I think it is strategic it's just a um it's just a different aspect of everything that's going on a would great you agree with that po- yeah I would a great point that uh Stephen Whitmer in the book a big gospel in small places um he brings up strategic ministry in the book and I think does a fabulous job pointing out strategic um, assumes a goal. When you're saying I'm being strategic about ministry, it assumes you have a goal. And if the goal is just more numbers in churches, then we could divide ministries pretty separately and say like the bigger churches are the strategic ones. Small churches need neglected because that's the only goal, but that's not the Bible's goal for churches. Ephesians three, I believe says that the the goal for churches is the glory of God. It's to manifest his wisdom. It's to manifest his grace and lavishness to sinners like us. And so his point is strategic is not that well yeah his his point is that small town churches are strategic because they manifest a part of god's character that lavishness that that uh the prodigal grace on unworthy um like empirically unstrategic places um worthless unworthy people people that are not worth the in in the world's eyes not worth investment God finds them and lifts them above everybody. Well, in some ways, a small town church makes that manifest more than a big church can. And so it's not that it's not, again, this is not just to separate and say small town churches are the only one that's strategic. He's just trying to say, let's broaden what we're trying to do. Our goal is to manifest the character of our gracious God and the way that, that, that can happen in a small town in a unique way. There's a unique aspect of God's glory when a man with a PhD goes and preaches to 30 people a week and does that for the entirety of his career. The world would be like, that is a waste. 
and be like, exactly, that is such a good picture of what our God does for us. Mm. So I think that I, the way I would affirm what you're saying is that it's strategic when the goal of of your strategy is bigger than just more numbers or a specific kind of person, those kind of things. We have bigger goals. And then the other way to push back that I've been pushing back in my own heart is that our, our resources aren't actually limited. It's the infinite God who's funding all of this work. Mm-hmm. There might be things that we have to give up um, in order to follow him. You know, that might mean, for example, a lot of the pastors in these towns might have to be bivocational but that doesn't mean that God's not providing them and that that wouldn't be a rich gift to that church. Um, we just have to be ready to follow him according to what the Bible you know, tells us to look for. So, yeah, I, I, just don't, I, don't th- I think that the goals for strategy are different from what I used to think they were and that we aren't actually limited in our resources. There's no limit to what our resources are. That's awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what the Lord does through this. Um, yeah, if you, uh, what, what would be the best way if somebody wants to follow what you're doing, um, maybe an email address or something that they could reach out to you or what would be the best way for somebody to get in contact with you? Yeah, I think just sending me an email right now would be best. My email address is Joe and Becca B at gmail.com. So that's J O E A N D B E C C A B at gmail.com. Okay, great. Awesome. Well, we'll call this a wrap for our first episode, and uh, hopefully we can do lots more of these in the future. So thanks again, Joe. Thank you. 